Hello and welcome back to another edition of The Social Club. Hello, good evening and welcome back to another edition of The Social Club, the podcast where we talk a little bit about Arsenal, but we talk about some of the other big talking points from the Premier League as well. It's always a lot of fun and it gives us a chance to blow off steam in regards to a variety of different subjects. Now, if you just joined us uh, for our fans show just a few moments ago, we were live um, and you're back with us again. And thank you because two doses is a lot uh, to take in one night. So we really, really appreciate you guys coming back and supporting us. Um, This show has gotten off to the worst fucking possible start if I'm being completely honest. And that is because I was bragging to the lads about how I was really looking forward to getting a cobra, uh, cobra, a tiger beer down me uh, during this show and having a little chat with the boys about all things Premier League. And I opened the fridge and there's none in there. And that is the most devastating feeling in the world because as you guys will know, there is nothing fucking worse than a warm beer. So I've had to resort to drinking water, healthier at least. Um, and speaking of healthy and someone who... He's a little bit under the weather today. Welcome back to the podcast, Mr. Simon Alavi. How are you, mate? We can't hear him. Can you hear him, Deluca? I can't hear him. Uh, I think he's lost his voice. That's what he misses. He must have. Alavi, you might need to jump in and out again because we can't hear you at the moment, mate. Not sure uh, what's going on there. Uh, Dan Deluca, welcome back to the show, mate. How are you? Yeah, you can hear me, unfortunately. Um, I'm very well. Cheers. We can always hear you, Mr. Deluca. We can always hear you. So we've lost Alavi momentarily. Uh, you get a nice shot of his garden, though, if you're watching. Um, what is he doing? Hello. <laughs> Mr. Alavi? No, he's uh, he's in the wilderness. Let's begin anyway by talking about... Oh, we've lost Deluca now. What is going on? We're having a technical nightmare. Alavi, can you hear me now? Alavi, can you hear me? We can't hear you, Alavi. You need to come in and out of the stream, my friend. I'm not sure what's going on there. Um, lots and lots of technical issues right at the beginning of the show. First, we lost Alavi. Then we lost Dan DeLuca. Fortunately, oh. though, Dan DeLuca's back. Yeah, I was just trying to trying to save Alavi. But... Oh, no, it, it won't happen. Problems at his end. Let him deal with it, mate. Don't worry about it. Um, <laughs> let's start off by talking about the Premier League's relegation fight. It was a really, really interesting fight this year. Um, It went down to the final day. And of course, in the end, it was Norwich City, Bournemouth and Watford who perished. Um, Dan, I've got to say, from an Arsenal perspective, Watford gave a really, really good account of themselves at the Emirates Stadium. And as much as I wanted Troy Deeney to go down and I wanted to have that enjoyment of seeing him suffer... I did feel a little bit for Watford, given the performance that they put in on the final day. What, what did you make of the whole, the way the whole day unfolded in terms of the relegation battle? Yeah, to be fair, it's, um, it was the first day of football that I enjoyed since since we come out of lockdown. To be honest, yeah. and I taped a few games and and it, and then watched them all. Um, I, to be fair, it's like what you said about Watford there. As a football fan, it's hard not to feel sorry for a team in certain situations, unless it's like your deadliest rivals. And even then, if you're honest with yourself, there might be one or two occasions in your life where you feel sorry for them. So you look at Watford, and you know they gave it a really good go. 
<clears throat> I felt sorry for the players a little bit because of all the things that have happened behind the scenes and, and all the turmoil at the club. And, you know, they put in they put in a big effort. And why I felt sorry for them as well is over the last, you know, four or five months, they've put in a really big effort. They, you know, they, they've racked up about seven or eight wins under Pearson to get themselves from seven points adrift to clear the relegation zone and looking almost almost safe at one point. So for it to fall apart like that, you know, I did feel a little bit sorry for him in the end. But, you know, over the course of the season, they've not been good enough on the pitch, off the pitch. And uh, that's it. Yeah. End. I mean, Alavi, we, we've spoken about sort of Watford giving it a good go at the Emirates Stadium, but Bournemouth gave a fucking good account of themselves at Everton as well, didn't they? Yeah, they did. It was just, it was almost too late. And you wonder why they don't, they don't do that through the season. If you look at some of the players, um, you know, even Spurs have been linked with a couple of their players, haven't they? So, you know, you look across those teams and actually Bournemouth have probably got the players of those that went down that most sides would want would want to sign. Um, so it's a shame, obviously, we've got the issue with the goal line. Um, technology. You've you got to look at the January transfer markets and you think Watford signed a couple of players and they got about 90 minutes between them. So that would be one reason. Obviously, there's the the, the other reason, the, the positive family that we discussed last week. Um, you know, three managers this season surely can't you know, lead to stability in the club. Um, what they reappointed, Kike Flores-Sanchez, and then fired him less than three months later. After, and then they sacked Pearson after seven months. You've got to give credit to Danny did call Watford. So, fair play. I I thought that they'd actually be able, be able to stay up. Um, but it just proves that nothing nothing's over till the final day. Um, and, and it was actually, I agree with Dan in the sense that it was the first first weekend I've really enjoyed the football, and even Dean Smith at the end we was just like, just just wait, just wait, just just, and they all huddled together and waiting for the result. And yeah, it's better with the fans, but it was just nice to have some drama back in football. Is is there an argument that, and and I've I've been saying this for a little while now that Dan that we're getting more, not that it's ever going to be as good without fans, but are you starting to get used to it now? Because I I feel like I am. Yeah, I think yeah, I've got used to it. I got used to it, admittedly, um, and I think you know the the fan noises on the television help to a degree because when you watch it without without the fan noises, you're back to that deadly silence and you can hear everything. It doesn't quite feel right, so I think you know having this fan noises there has has helped, even though sometimes they're a bit slow on the button and you know it's a little bit of a. Yeah. Like, I listen to Jonathan Pierce on the radio where there's a massive like noise and nothing's actually happened, but. Yeah, you know, you, you, we have got used to it and then we're going to have to get used to, you know, the next phase then, which is going back to half-empty stadiums, which obviously for Arsenal, we'll be quite used to that. But for, for some of the other clubs... Take him seven week, minutes. Take him seven one, minutes. I do one a week. It's nothing personal. So, and then, you know, when we're going to have to go to the stadiums half-empty and then how are we going to get used to that? Um, you know, it's not the same. It's not been as enjoyable, but the last day was enjoyable. Um, I think... You know, for someone to go for a team to get relegated and not have fans there to share the pain with, I think is a, is a bit is a bit cold as well. You know, and there's a lot of that emotion that was taken out of the day, but it was just nice to have a little bit, of it, nice to have a little bit of it back. Do you, I love do you. Think, do you think the quality of the Premier League is such that one, I guess, uh, variable to measure by is you look at the teams that have gone down, 
or were going to go down, but take the three that have gone down. And there's quite a few players that you think well, they could do a job in like, the top 10 in the league. You've got um, yeah, Aaron's, haven't you? You've got um, you probably take um, Ismail Asar, wouldn't you? Um, I think Bayern want Max Aaron's. Um, Nathan Aguiz, obviously, we talked about him um, last week. Brooks, Wilson, those sort of players. It, can you remember a Premier Todd Cantwell's another one. Can you remember a Premier League season where you could name, say, 10, 11 players of the three that have gone down? And and really, Villa actually has a few as well. So, I, oh, if yeah, they would have gone down, it would be uh, even more. Josh King's another one, maybe. Um, even I think it's the other way. still do a job somewhere. I think it's the other way around, Pallavi. I think it's the other way around. So I don't think I don't think that's a reflection of how strong the league is. I think it's a reflection of how weak the league is at the top at the top end. So basically behind Liverpool and City, you could argue Man United because they've they've bought their players already. All the other teams, Arsenal, Tottenham, mm. Chelsea to a degree, they've done their business, they are weaker. So they're now looking at these players as players who could bolster their squads, where I think in past seasons you wouldn't, you wouldn't have had that. And I think that could be measured by the type of season Arsenal have had, the type of season Tottenham have had, their finishing positions. The fact that Liverpool won the league at an absolute cancer with very little challenge. I think it's more, it's more you know, the top six or big six or however, whatever it's down to now, because two of those teams are barely in the six. So that second tier of teams aren't as strong. So you're looking around and you're looking at players who, who you wouldn't otherwise have looked at. I think it's more to do with that, if I'm honest. But it shows I'd also, competitive. Yeah, but I'd also argue... How competitive it was. I'd also argue, though... I'd also argue, Avi, that some of those players actually wouldn't do it at any of these clubs that we're linking them with. I, I genuinely don't think that all of them are as good as are some people. the environment? So, where Spurs would usually go for other players, why are, they look, are they looking at those, I don't know, Hoiberg or Southampton? Because of the current environment, they're not going to get a £60 million player. Possibly, possibly. And that's that's something to take into account for sure. I just, I, I think like, it's, there's a lot of people saying like, from an Arsenal perspective, like obviously I'll speak from an Arsenal perspective, where there's people out there saying that, you know, we should go out and get Decore, we should go and get, you know, some of the other players that are hanging around these clubs, the Max Aarons is. And the, the thing for me is that there's a couple of players in there that I think could do it. I think Nathan Ake could do it at a bigger club. Um, I think he's certainly one of those. As far as Abdullah Decore goes, and he's one that Arsenal been linked with for a long, long time. He's not the answer for me. He's he, he's technically not good enough. Um, Ismail Assar is another one who physically has all the attributes to cause his opponent nightmares. But when he gets in the final position, when he gets in the final third, does he have the composure? Does he have the technical ability? I would argue that he doesn't. So I think a lot of these players, I think you're right when you say they're being linked with these clubs because of the current environment more than it is that they're actually very good players and they should be joining top clubs. So I think our view is a little bit skewed, maybe, um, as a result of the circumstances. DeLuca, was you going to say something there? No, I was just... Um, Pondering. Yeah, we, we sort of covered it off last week a little bit about what sort of players we would take. And I did say, like, you know, if Greenish gets relegated, he's now got relegated twice. So how good is he? Ultimately, he kept them up, didn't he? In, to, to some degree um, on the last day. So... Um, you know, there's some okay players there. I think, you know, you're looking 
your natural reaction to look in the in the bargain basement has, has obviously gone up because of the because of the current um economical position. So yeah, I guess that that's probably more the point. But you know, you you'd always take a punt on a good, fast, young British youngster. Um and a lot of the players a lot of the players there sort of fit that fit that mould, don't they? Um but there are a couple of players there who are past their best, like Josh King, like Wilson. And ultimately that's why Bournemouth have gone down this season. They didn't go down three years ago. Yeah, absolutely. Let's move on to the Europa League qualification before we're going to work from our from the bottom of the table up rather than from the top down. Um, first of all, actually, let me say a big hello to those of you who are watching us in the live chat at the moment. A uh, big shout out to every single one of you and, of course, to everybody who listens back later on or watches this back on the replay. And, of course, our sponsors, TV Sports Blog. You can see their name rolling across the screen. Head over to tvsportsblog.com uh, for fantastic content covering a wide variety of sports uh, please do go over there and check those guys out a uh, big shout out to john as well who leads them uh, and leads the team over at tv sports blog uh tawana thongola says on time wow he says good evening gents good evening my friend thank you uh, very much couple of questions which we'll come to a little bit later on so i'll just park those stan the man says at first glance i thought you had mikel arteta on alavi i don't think that was for me <laughs> it's definitely not for you, mate. <laughs> do you know what the do you know what the the funniest thing is that when he was first signed, Harry's dad texted me saying, What what's your plans as the new Arsenal manager? <laughs> <laughs> Great stuff. Um what else have we got here? A couple of people responding to the Lucas comments around the fan noise on the TV. Library Gary says, can't watch without the fan noise. And Barry Sacconi says, it's better to have the fan noise. So I think everybody agrees. Again, a few questions which we'll come back to. Um, a little bit later on, uh, FX Entertainment uh, says, how are we doing, Harry? And he says, hi to you guys, Alavi and DDL as well. And a yeah, shout mate. out to Mr. Orlando Aguilar watching us from Miami. How you doing, mate? Welcome uh, to the show. Thank you for joining us live. As I said, if you've left a question in the chat, we're going to come back to those a little bit later on in the podcast. So don't go anywhere. Right. Let's talk about the Europa League qualification spots. Of course, Arsenal were unable to make it via the Premier League group. We still have a chance, however, of doing it via the uh, FA Cup. Of course, Arsenal are in the final and we'll be bringing you previews and coverage of that over the next uh, few days. So stay tuned for all of that stuff as well. But I want to have a little bit of a go at Dan DeLuca and I want to have a little bit of a go at Spurs um, because I thought that Jose Mourinho's celebrations at achieving mediocrity were just a sign of how the mighty Mourinho has fallen. And quite frankly, I think it was fucking embarrassing. And if I was a Spurs fan, I'd be embarrassed about it. What's your take on it, mate? Well, it's not my fault. Go me for. <laughs> well, well it's it's not our fault when Pep Guardiola does something wrong, but we still get it from you. So. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, how would I describe this? I would say I thought the huddle, the little cuddle on the touchline, I, I thought it lasted about five seconds too long. I would say, I think you know, well, a little. <laughs> Never been told that before, have you? <laughs> no, I really haven't. Um, I thought it lasted a, a little bit. A little bit too long. Um, I think it's more. It's a rival fan's paradise, isn't it? To to see that sort of stuff. So, you know, he would have known that. I think. Um, I think you know. Are you asking me about the celebrations? Are you asking me this achievement? I'm not really sure what what a question. If you're asking me, was it over celebrated by Tottenham as a whole? I'd say 
definitely not. Um, I think the fans were happy to get in the Europa League. There was a lot of bravado beforehand, you know, oh, we're not that bothered. But yeah, you were. You want to be in the Europa League. It's another tournament. It's, um, you know, clubs benefit from being in it, even though they might feel like they don't because they've got to go to weird places on a Thursday. So glad we were able to achieve that. I think, you know, if, if Arsenal had achieved it, they would pick Tottenham. I imagine there'd been some celebration, certainly in the fan base. Not sure what had happened on the bench, obviously. Um, so I think it, it is an it is a, a good achievement, no more than that. I thought the celebrations from Mourinho were a little bit too long. He went back for one of his coaching staff who missed the huddle. I think there'll be an element of that where he's playing up to Amazon, you know, he's have a nice happy ending in the last episode and have a little dance. But, you know, you notice the players, you didn't see any of the players celebrating, you didn't see any selfies or anything like that. You know, they they shook hands with the refs and off they went. It was it was job it was job done, wasn't it? it was, when is when is that Amazon documentary out, Dan? Because quite that's, good, you know? yeah, it will be an interesting watch. It'll be. I mean, there's an argument it should be on Comedy Central, but they'll still hey, hey, it's hey, still hey. worth watching. I mean, do you know when it's out, mate? Um, it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be coming out in early September, but I don't know. I don't know whether Amazon pulls the strings or Levy pulls the strings, or they'll try and delay it to do others. You know, to market in the best possible way. But I think it should be interesting, and I think. It's more interesting for me that it's been a bad season. Yeah. You know, it's, it, yeah. I do. I want to watch all or nothing Manchester City with Pep Guardiola acting like a prat and winning games against like Barnsley nine nil. But see, uh, but this is damn. This is why I disagree because those those documentaries very rarely paint and Harry or uh, Tess like they very rarely paint the manager or the team in a bad light. So. You will struggle, even you will struggle to watch that Pep Guardiola document um, and and have a little, not have a little bit of respect. But any Harry will watch that Jose Mourinho Spurs one, and he'll be like, "Do you know what? I don't like the guy, but I can see the level of detail." Done a documentary before. Mourinho done a documentary before when he was um, when he was winning absolutely everything. So I'm interested to see the difference. I'm interested to see how he handles those situations. Um, uh, but yeah. I don't know, how would I like him? You ever like you know, it's a really shit game at like. I don't know, the Euros. Not the World Cup, because I watch every game at the World Cup. But in the Euros, if there's a shit game and it goes to a penalty shootout and you like you know, you'll you'll definitely switch over and watch it because there's a part of you that you just want to see someone like miss a penalty and be crying. Yeah. You know, it could be the shittest game in the world. If you you probably won't bother, but you know it's going to penalties, you'll you'll hang on just to watch the tears. So I think there's something quite sadistically enjoyable about watching watching a documentary about a shit season. <laughs> Do you yeah, not fair. do you not do you not think that we, we probably have a range of um, listeners ages, but we all are roughly of the same um generation mm. I grew up about like, ten yards from each other. Hold on. I'm a lot younger than both of you yeah, two. That's, that's, that's her, right. You grew up four <laughs> yards away. Um, but um you know, we came from a generation where one or two teams got into Europe. we're looking on the we're looking at the brink of eight teams possibly getting into Europe. I don't know if people are aware of these permutations, but obviously you've got Chelsea and Arsenal, right? Preparing for the FA Cup this weekend. You've got Wolves still in it, right? Um, obviously, City won the uh, Carabao Cup, so that has an automatic qualification spot. They've obviously qualified for the Champions League, so then that transfers to six. Spurs will then enter the second qualification round phase, won't they? Which is in, what, mid-September, Dan? Um, then you've got, the, yeah, like we said, the FA Cup. Chelsea have already secure top six so yeah. that probably has been transferred to Spurs who go straight so like you think you have you could potentially have eight like nearly half the league in Europe next year 
Like, I think we're starting it, it later. It used to be work. Like, they used to like, West Ham used to get him via, like, fair play. Like, and every, every yeah. Do you remember the Intertoto Cup? It yeah, was that, yeah, wasn't yeah. it? That was a... Spurs lost 8-0 in that once and got banned from Europe for three years for fielding. I think we signed Alan Pardew off the street and he played one game and we lost that 8 <laughs> Um, but to answer your question pro- properly, rather than mm. fucking about about Anderson, you asked me, you know, how have the mighty fallen specifically about Jose Mourinho? And I know with yourself and a lot of modern debates now, debating becomes a popularity contest rather than an actual an actual debate. So I get you don't like him. But from his perspective now, if he celebrated getting into the Europa League next season, then I think you've got a right to call it embarrassing and I'd be disappointed. This season from where he took over with what he's had to deal with, I can understand why he considers that an achievement of sorts. It's not like if he started at the beginning of the season, it's a different it's a different situation. He didn't he didn't take over the Champions League finalists anymore. He took over a team that were twelfth in the division, had just lost three 0 to Brighton and they were getting smashed all over the place. I think his aim when he you can look at this two ways. I think, you know, you could say he's taken Spurs from twelfth to sixth, good achievement, or you could say he was three points off fifth when he joined and he finished three points off fifth. So is it all that? But I think when you look here at the end, I know you always, when it gets to the back end of the season, you start to remember decisions. So arguably, arguably there was probably a penalty against Bournemouth, which Spurs probably should have got. So that would either probably finish within three points of fourth, which goes to show how close he's pulled it off. Then if you factor in between January and April, he's lost his striker to injury. He's lost his backup striker to me. Yeah, but then I would argue that yeah, but he's he's lost his striker, but then he's been able to finish the season with him because of the COVID crisis. So yeah, he's so had that, a stroke of luck as well. Helps, but you know, you, it's not like it's not like he he's had he's had a dearth of strikers to to, to call upon, is it? You know, so he's had he's had challenges to overcome, whereby the target of if he how I put it, if he went from twelfth and finished fourth from where he was, it would have been an unbelievable achievement. If he missed out on Europe altogether, it would have been terrible. So there has to be a middle ground. I think he's done a, I think he's done a good job under the circumstances in terms of results. Um, some performances, not the best. Um, he won't last at Tottenham forever if he doesn't change that in some way. Yeah, fair enough. DeLuca, you might want to switch the light on as well, mate. We're losing you. Darkness has descended upon... the at the DeLuca residence. <laughs> He's got and... Daniel Levy there. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay, so we, we've touched on the, the, the... Look, I guess let's run through the table just briefly. I know people know it, but obviously Liverpool ran away with the league, Manchester City second, United in third. Now, United obviously took on Leicester on the last game of the season. It was ultimately, wasn't it, a shootout uh, for the UEFA Champions League qualification positions. Manchester United have received a lot of praise of late. Alavi, we've spoken about Manchester United recently and how they've improved and how they've got the makings of a really, really good side there now um, under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. So I want to shift the focus a little bit onto Brendan Rodgers because I know that at the start of the season, Leicester City, if you told them they were going to finish fifth, they'd have taken that. But given the circumstances, given the way the season's gone for the Foxes, is it fair to say that they've had a fucking meltdown and it's actually turned out to be a disaster? Yeah, they have. And what what annoys me is that I tipped Leicester and Man United to get top four. So they're really clever for the Man United thing. And then I've completely, they've completely messed me up with my um, prediction because I, I didn't think Frank Lampard 
with those three games remaining, if people actually remember what those three games are, um, I don't think he would get the job done. I, I don't know if it's that classic thing that we always say about football where there's just something about certain players at certain teams and big clubs that know what to do when it gets tough. And I know you can allude to the times that Leicester won the league and, and they've still got those players like Vardy there and Wes Morgan and various others. But I I almost think the break was, if you could pick one team that the break, uh, the, you know, I call it a break and that's with no disrespect, but the, the, the interlude that we had because of the environment, um, it really didn't suit was Leicester. Um, I just think it just, it allowed Chelsea, it allowed Man United to rest their key players for even longer. And, you know, I think take Man United aside, it was Man United was almost a one a one man band, wasn't it? Like there's one there's one player that we can, you know, look at that essentially got them third. So between Chelsea and Leicester, I wanna give Frank Lampard credit and I think you have to to a degree as much as it pains me, but equally, just as equally I think Leicester messed it up. I when really you do. when you look at the table, I think at the end of January, Leicester were 14 points clear of Manchester United. And But w- one thing I will say is the break obviously had an impact. And we've seen another club that have been, you know, probably slightly unfortunate as well, but were really punching above their weight and then sort of fell foul a little bit after the break with Sheffield United. Um, but... The thing with Leicester is that their poor run of form, it actually started before the break. Um, you know, it's been going on for quite some time. And DeLuca, I'm of the opinion that Brendan Rodgers is overrated. I think he often tries to complicate things. I think he's someone who probably you can accuse of being a little bit arrogant in the sense of he thinks he's better than he is. And he tries to overcomplicate certain situations and ends up making a mess of it pretty much in every job he's had. Bar Celtic, because you or I would win the league with Celtic. But in terms of, you know, when he's been at other clubs, he's always fallen away at the end. He's always messed about with things too much and he always falls foul. I don't, I don't like the bloke. Um, I think he's got, he's got something about him. Clearly, you know, he can, he can play a, he can play a brand of football um, that works. He, that he's got previous in this field now of, of throwing away situations and, you know, it's always a good consolation at the end, isn't it? To say, oh, well, we'd have taken it at the beginning. But this isn't the beginning. You were 14 points clear. You had to get a team over the nine, over the line. They had a couple of injuries at the end. But to be honest, I I think in the early part of the season where, <clears throat> where Leicester were getting quite a lot of points, I think they were getting more points than some of their performances warranted. There's a couple of good performances in there. But ultimately... When the chips are down, you need goal scorers. And there's another player in Leicester's team who is overrated. Overrated doesn't mean bad. Don't 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 shout at me, Aladdy. What the golden o- boot winner? Yeah, he yeah he he went missing in the second half of the season. That's facts. He scored in. I think he scored in two of of the last thirteen games he played. That's not good enough. It's no good scoring ten goals in one game. And then scoring no goals in nine games and winning the golden boot—that's that, that's not that doesn't help oh, the club. Hold on, are we just are we just not just giving Chelsea enough credit because we've started this whole you know mantra of our you know Frank Lampard is getting a free pass no, no, this year? No, no, it's because, not that. It's been, but actually, like, if you look at the guys who finished top four, they've spent an average outlay of 126 million. It doesn't matter. We've a, a and his is zero. 
with a 14 point head start, you should be able to get over the line. That's Hold on, guys. One second. Let me just share this with you. So these are Jamie Vardy's. Uh, this is Jamie Vardy's record. So if we have a look on the screen, I'm sure everybody can see it now. Um, so this is the, the, the Premier League. Obviously, the Premier League came back. Uh, March was the last game, wasn't it? Ninth of March before we stopped. And then from then, we're here. So we're Watford. Get match day 30 is where the Premier League came back. And you can see here he's got two, three, four goals in his last one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, uh, eight look games. Above, he's got four that. goals. Look above that. Yeah, that's a yeah. It's fair. He, he had. Change, yeah? So you you look at that there. He scored. He scored in four games in his last fifteen. That's that's not that's not top level. Yeah, but, agreed. I, you're right. I think the point is that it kind of dropped off, didn't it, before the lockdown, rather than sort of after it. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think you know we're asking: Is Brendan Rodgers overrated? Yeah, probably. He's a good manager, but. You know, slight, slightly overrated. Is Jamie Vardy a good striker? Yeah, but he's slightly overrated. And you can't be in a position where your main source of goals and your talisman goes missing for that long. That that wouldn't be tolerated at uh, any of the other top clubs. And when we're asking, like Aladdy said, and he's right, the same sort of clubs have a knack. You know, the, those clubs don't have players who disappear for that length of time, either in the dugout or otherwise. So I think that's ultimately where Leicester's down downfall came. You could argue it's a bit harsh on Vardy in terms of him carrying all the pressure, but that's how it is. If you want to be a, a striker of a top four club, some of us won that won won a league, you need to you need to do it almost every single week. You can have a little goal drought of maybe two or three games maybe, but you know ultimately Manchester Dan, you're picking Jamie Vardy because he's a talisman. I can give you another big uh, player who went more missing than Jamie Vardy who everyone was, you know, thinking about being the next you know next 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 big thing, and that's Madison. Where he's did been, he? Oh, isn't he? Sorry, he's been he's been injured for a few games, isn't he? Yeah, but he still wasn't the same player for quite a, a bit of a season. Yuri um, Tillman, Harvey Harvey Barnes, their players they all went missing. Yeah, I think they missed their right back a lot as well. What's he? Um, yeah, Pereira. Pereira. Oh, Pereira. I think they missed him. Um, so they've, had, they've had some injuries. They've been a bit unlucky. You know, yeah. the lockdown, the lockdown restart has obviously killed them a little bit, but. You know, it's fourteen points. It's fourteen points in any in any in any other situation. That's you know that that's bottling it, isn't it? Fourteen. It's points. I think because at the start of the season, if someone would have given you that top four, you'd have been like, yeah, that makes sense. But they almost sort of their own back by doing so well at the start that they then capitulated. Yeah, well, that's life. But isn't really, it? where they finish is absolutely fine. Yeah, yeah but it's, the point is you, the, the the situation is fluid, isn't it? And your objective should be fluid in the sense Correct. of they should yeah. be adjusted yeah. based on where you are and how things are going. Let's go over to some of the live comments because the Luca appears to have rattled quite a few of our listeners with his Jamie Vardy comments. Um, let's see what we've got here. Um, Marble Halls TV says, I don't agree. He won the golden boot since Leicester won the league. He's been up there. I think not winning a trophy since 2008 has clouded your judgments. Yeah. Let's be That's a debate for another day. I'm not getting into that now. We're going to be here all night. Uh, Maximus Genitalia, this great screen name that is. He says the Golden Boot winner is slightly overrated. Laughing my ass off. Uh, Ak Akil says despite not being despite being not good in the second half, 
Vardy ended up winning the Golden Boot. Doesn't it show how good he has been overall? No, um, it shows how good he's been in the first half. That's terrible, terrible comment. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to argue. Um, what else have we got here? We've got lots of other stuff. We'll come back to these comments afterwards because we're going to move into conversations that they will be more relevant for. So we're going to do that in just a few moments time. Um, so we've discussed, we've agreed that Leicester have bottled it. Yes or no? Let's have a one word answer, lads. Yes or no? Have Leicester bottled it? Yeah. 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 More than, I think more than we can give Chelsea credit. I think Leicester bottled it. Agreed. I'm of that uh, school of thought. You have to give Ole credit more than Chelsea bottled it for their run towards the end. Yeah, yeah. I, I think with Manchester United, it was... Uh, I mean, I didn't realise one player could improve a side as much as Bruno Fernandes did. It's been unreal, hasn't it? Um, let's... Okay, let's... The Portuguese Andy Johnson. That'll rattle everyone, won't it? <laughs> the Portuguese Andy Johnson, I love that. Okay, right. Let's uh, let's go around and get your uh, first of all manager of the year, and then we're going to have your players of the season as well. Um, so take a few seconds to think about those guys. I'll come back to you because I know I've just sprung that on you. So I'll go through a couple more comments while you guys are having a quick think about that. I'm also going to ask you your most improved player of the Premier League season as well. So it's three things. And then we'll be taking some more listener questions at the end. Um, what have we got here? FX Entertainment says, Harry, are you going to get guests like us on the show to talk about Arsenal? I listen to you all the time on all platforms. My friend, if you've just missed it, we just did the fan show um, about an hour ago. And everybody is welcome. All you have to do is DM us when we're live and we bring as many people onto the call as we possibly can throughout the allotted time. So you're more than welcome to join us on that uh, at any time. So uh, yeah, stay tuned. If you follow us on Twitter at Chronicles underscore AFC, you'll keep up to date with what we're doing and when. And of course, if you're subscribed to this channel, you'll get a notification as well every time we go live. Right, DeLuca, let's come to you. First of all, your manager of the Premier League season 2019-2020 and why? I mean, it's a, it's a bit boring, but, you know, to not say Klopp's been the manager of the year is going to be a bit a bit disingenuous, isn't it? It's a bit, a bit, you know, he's relentlessly kept up uh, an unprecedented run of form um, until until it was done. And um, he's, he's the manager of the year. There's obviously some other good managers in there, isn't there? have done really good jobs. I really wanted to be in a place where I could give it to Spirito Santo, but... Ultimately, they've just fallen a little bit short and Klopp, Klopp's run away with the league. So he's got to be the manager of the year. OK, Alavi, you're a Premier League manager of the year and why? Uh, it was between Klopp and another gentleman. I'm going to give it to the other one just to be a tiny bit controversial. I think I'm going to go Chris Wilder and... The reason being, you're talking about, you know, relative position and, be, you know, being fluid. If you go to the start of the season, there are only really two teams that were going to win the league, right? But most of us had Sheffield United to either go down or just, just escape. If you look at what they've done, considering they're now, say, um, look at how they played with cleverness, the style with, you know, players who uh, even never played in the Premier League or... They were there already, and there's a few that were already, but made no mark. Um, they were quite good to watch. Um, we had a debate the other day, didn't we, in our WhatsApp group. We were like, can we name one manager 
who gets that balance right for his team that he needs between sacrificing his um, philosophy, but not being a Sam Allardyce. And we all came up with Chris Wilder. You know, they're diff- difficult to penetrate. You know, they. you look at how many goals they conceded and I, I think Spurs conceded more. I think Arsenal conceded more. Chelsea conceded more. Leicester probably conceded more. I think all but the top three. So it was between the two. I know it's a bit of a hipster and like Dan said, but we're disingenuous and I can see what he means. It is between most two, but I am going to give it to Wilder. That's fair. That's probably the only shout I would have taken and said other than Klopp. Yeah, that's okay. And I can, I can take that because it, it, as you said, he's had a wonderful season. I was one of those people that gave Sheffield United absolutely no hope at the start of the campaign and they've surprised everybody. I think they've been, as I said a little bit earlier on in the show, they've been really unlucky since the restart. You know, that goal goes in uh, against Aston Villa and, you know, that could have been the the spark that got them going again on that run and, and continued their momentum. Instead, that went against them. A couple of other bits and pieces did too. And before you know it, they'd fallen away. So, yeah, I th- look, for me, it's Jurgen Klopp purely because he's guided Liverpool to their first Premier League title in 30 years. And not only has he done that, is he's done it in such emphatic fashion, 18 points clear of Manchester City. He's also, the the success at Liverpool, you know, we talk about them just winning the league now for the first time in 30 years, but they went to -to back-to-back Champions League finals. And last season, they achieved 97 points and still didn't win the league. So the success and and the heights and the the, uh, consistency at which they're performing now has been there for a long, long time. Um, It's been there for at least two seasons, maybe two and a half seasons. And so you have to give him credit for managing to maintain that level for that period of time. So for me, it's Jurgen Klopp. Uh, Player of the season, DeLuca, there's been, uh, you know, Jordan Henderson won the Football Writers Award the other day and there was a lot of um, sort of controversy around that. Who's your player of the season? Based on their performances on the pitch, I'm not interested in who got free school dinners or, you know, or what Henderson done behind the scenes because those things are great, but that is for the Football Writers Award, isn't it? That's why he's won that. I want to know from a footballing, purely performance-based sort of metric, who are you going with? Oh, okay. Just, just maybe give it to Vardy now. He's got four goals in his last 15. Um, <laughs> he's poking the bear again. <laughs> um, so... I'm not deliberately different. I just look at the game in a different way to, to most people. But the player of the year for me is Trent Alexander-Arnold. He's been absolutely outstanding defensively going forward. Big moments, big games. Consistent. Absolutely incredible season by him. By him. Um, when there's other Liverpool players, quite rightly in, in, in the in the running for these sort of awards and spoken about in the media and, and no one mentions this guy. I, I, I kind of wonder, I kind of, I, there's always, Van Dyke sort of stands out above the crowd, doesn't he, as a defender. But you seem to, apart from him, you seem to, I don't know what you have to do as a defender to get any recognition in any kind of award ceremony ever. It's just, just because he plays right back, it's just, that's not a good enough reason to admit him. I think he's been as good as any Liverpool player um, He's done it in big games, small games, home, away. Things been absolutely brilliant. So he's my player of the season. Okay, Alavi, let's have your player of the season as well. 
Uh, for me, it was an obvious pick. I don't, I don't even see with a debate. Kevin De Bruyne is, for me, he's comfortably been the best player of the season. If you, you look at his assists and goals, um, I think the lot, if you combine the, that stat, um, it's in the sort of 30, 33, 34 maybe. Last time that was beaten was 10, 11 years ago. Uh, it, take out the longevity issue, which someone like maybe David De Silva would have a, a say in. I have, I've not seen a player that, that good in that particular position since the Premier League started. What he has done, if he had the same defence as Liverpool behind him, I, I don't know. He's, he's the one where you think every season you think he's, he's a player I'll just pay and pay and pay to watch. And for me, he's just... He's, you can't compare him with Van Dijk, but those two are just head and shoulders above everyone else. And for me, I don't think... You know, we've seen Liverpool players constantly win these awards in seasons where they haven't won the league. Um, you know, Sal, Sal is a, an example. So I don't think it's too down to a disingenuous to give it to a player who isn't at Liverpool this season. Yeah, it's and not uncommon. He's just... I mean, it was Harry, I think, who said that he's probably never seen a more complete... And this is higher enough, I don't support us, but we have both seen um, uh, Barcelona at the Emirates and Harry himself said he's never seen that complete a midfielder. No, I agree with... I agree like, with he's just of, unreal. In terms like, of he's never ability, seen anything like it. It's not uncommon to, to give player of the year for player of the year to be given to a player who hasn't won the league, even lower down the leagues. Like, you know, Gareth Bale won it when he, I think he finished, I don't know, like... Closer to the relegation zone at the top mm. of the league or whatever, but it's not the point. Um, in terms of ability, in terms of on his best day, is he the best player? Yeah, absolutely, he is. Yeah. Um, by some way, but you're asking me who's been the best player this season. Can I give it to can you give it to you know, they've lost the league by 18 points, so that doesn't matter on its own, but then you've got to say, why have they lost the league by 18 points? Is it because of the defense? Bit of a myth. Um, I think it's more than that. They've lost nine times in the league this season. That's quite a lot for a uh, you know for a team with a player of that ability in it and and the ability around him. And then you look at the games they've lost. They're games against big sides. So on this occasion, on this season, I can't have it that Kevin De Bruyne has done enough to win those big games to be called Player of the Season above someone who's won the league at a canter. So that's why on this occasion I can't really be looking to Manchester City to find my pick, just because he he okay. is the, he is the yeah. best footballer. Absolutely, he's the best footballer. But over the course of the, the thirty eight game season, it seems to last fucking ever. Um, that's the only reason you know you, you, I have cool. to look away from him. Fair enough. Um, my pick was De Bruyne as well, um, which means that De Bruyne wins in our awards. What was your what's your um, reasoning? My reasoning is is a number of things. As as I've said, I, I think that there's been a lot of games that Kevin De Bruyne has, and as much as you know, Dan mentioned the talent that he has around him, and there absolutely is an abundance of that. But I feel like he still wins games single handedly for yeah, Manchester City. I, mean. I still feel like he has such a huge influence over that side. And you mentioned the stat: thirty five appearances in the Premier League this season for Kevin De Bruyne, thirteen goals and twenty assists which means he's participated in 32% of all of Manchester City's Premier League goals. And that coming from someone who 
not only is a threat in the final third, is able to get back and work defensively. He is a real physical presence. And I always say that, don't I? That he is so complete because I've seen him knock people off a ball. I've seen him dribble. I've seen him ping a pass. I've seen him finish like an expert striker. He just has it all for me. And again, he proved his value. And again, he proved his worth. And I totally accept DDL's point about um, the fact that he can't look at Manchester City because they have been so poor. Um, I think you're right when you say that the defensive issues of Manchester City have been a bit of a myth as well. I think in actual fact, when you look at it in a little bit more detail, they've probably just missed too many chances. Because if you think about the chances they create, they could have killed off a lot of games and they've ended up being sort of bitten in the arse. And ultimately, the reason I still give it to De Bruyne is because I don't hold him responsible for that. De Bruyne's goal, goal scoring is not De Bruyne's domain. He does it and he does it wonderfully. But we know he's a creator and we know that he's the creative driving force in that team. So that's why I don't, pick on him uh, for the reason why they may be falling a little bit behind. But let's uh, let's have a look at what some of you guys are saying in terms of your managers and players of the year. And then uh, we'll get the most improved player from each of the guys and then answer some of your questions for the last 10 minutes or so. Um, what have we got here? Right. In terms of the manager of the year, lots of comments for Jurgen Klopp. Um Daniel's having a bit of a bubble. He says, Unai Emery. <laughs> um, Tashi says, in fairness, Lampard is a good shout. A top four yeah. finish and an FA Cup final is not so bad. If he goes on to win the FA Cup and Trent. he's... Uh, yeah, yeah, that's right. But w I guess the FA Cup, I was about to make the point that if he did win the FA Cup and qualified for the Champions League, it's a good season. But of course, this is the Premier League manager of the year. We're not taking into account the other competitions. In terms of the player uh, of the season, Kevin De Bruyne. Uh, True Gunas says Kevin De Bruyne by a mile, no discussion. Um, Stephen Williams says Kevin De Bruyne is the best player in the Premiership, can do a straight swap with Ozil, You'd we wish. If you did that swap, you'd have some money left in the wage. In the wage yeah, the probably. <laughs> probably. Right, let's, uh, Dan, let's have your most improved player this season. Um, this is a little bit more of a difficult one, I think. And I, I've still not made my mind up yet, so I'm going to let you two go first. Go well, on, then. Don't give us warning. Right there in the comment, he said, like, he said those horrible words, no discussion. When you're on a on a podcast of debate stuff, you yeah. say no discussion. But this one is close to no discussion for me. It's like when Harry says it's a fact. But it's, it's a fact. Not a fact. Um, no, no, no. It's when I say I don't care what anyone says. Yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> the one. I don't care what anyone says. <laughs> this is a fact. Um, but for this one here, this is close to no discussion because in terms of a player who has improved and he's done it, he's gone from the drift to being a man. It's Adama Traore. He's the most yeah, improved. Yeah, yeah, that's a oh, that's a good shout. Think. Go on. Who did you have originally then for that? And then I'll I'll square yeah, it up. Do you know what? Well, because I've been obviously you didn't bother giving us any notice. I had a top five, and it was. Traore, uh, Rashford, uh, Greenwood, um, the Leicester right back I'm entering. I'm, I cannot believe I'm, I'm going to stick to my gun. Traore will be second. I cannot believe I'm going to say this as someone who's second least favourite team after West Ham is probably Arsenal, but I'm probably going to have to give it to Le uh, Leno, <laughs> if I'm honest. Because if you look at the German uh, stock, 
shots. I mean, you look at his first season at, uh, and you'll know this more than anyone, your listeners will know this more than me, but I, I just looked at it as a bit of a liability in that sort of debut season. Um, someone who wasn't fit for the Emirates. Um, and don't, don't get me wrong, his replacement's done, done well. We discussed it last week, and, and I don't think the defence has ever, ever helped him, but I think I have to give it to know, <laughs> and that really, really pains me. Like if you look at, I think the number of actual saves he's made, if you look at that as a stat, is up there with um, any keeper at the moment in the league. Uh, well, before his injury, anyway. Um, and you know, obviously, he's got the formidable David Luiz in front of him, which makes things easy. But yeah, I, I'm gonna bite my tongue and give it to Leno. Wow, wow. Yeah. Can you believe that bit of a pause? But do you know what it was? It, to be fair to Dan, it was a t- toss-up between him and Traore, just like my manager of the season was between um, uh, Klopp and Wilder. I, when is it? I come on in, win, lose or draw. I admit to being a Tottenham fan. I'm very polite and respectful. You know, I give an honest opinion and I get bollocked in the comments every week. And then you get a laddie just playing up to the Arsenal fans. <laughs> uh, yeah. the, first, the first positive Arsenal thing I've ever said that wasn't about David Luiz. Yeah. Hold on. I, well, I, I've got to be honest. I'm gobsmacked that you've gone with Bernd Leno. Well, do you not um, think he deserves? Uh, no, I, 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 I don't think that Bernd Leno is any better than he was last season. I think that Bernd Leno has always been a wonderful shot stopper. He's always been, uh, you know, very agile and, and, and all of that sort of stuff. I think the criticisms of Bernd Leno that I've said since he arrived at the club that he's not dominating enough. Um, his distribution at times is a little bit, and I know a lot of that was down to the manager's instruction, but I feel like he takes a few too many risks in that department. I wouldn't have even given him as the the most improved Arsenal player, let alone in the Premier League. So I'm really surprised that you've gone with that. Um, I, you know, while we're on the subject of Arsenal, if I have to say an Arsenal one, I'd look no further than probably... And this is based on the second half of the season only because the first half was an absolute shambles yeah. from everybody. It's it's out of it's probably Xhaka, Xhaka. and then very closely yeah. followed by Mustafi, I would say, because since Mikel Arteta's come in, he's been a new player. Um, I think so, Xhaka stands out a bit because you tried to stand. You you're one of those that stood up for him, so you almost yeah yeah. I I, you I know did. What I mean, it's hard to separate that you stood up for him and that he went. And I do it as well. But there is that little 10% subjective thing that you've got there. Yeah, of course. And and Xhaka had to deal with a lot of adversity. He had exactly. to deal with that whole situation. He came back with a massive fuck you to everybody that doubted him. Yeah. And ultimately, he is one of the most important players in the Arsenal side now. So well, uh, he, he's, if you were putting your fantasies up, like if you were trying to pick fantasy and you were like, oh, who's, who's, um, uh, <laughs> well, hey, you, you, you instantly think, He's, he's first one of the first on the team sheet, don't you? Absolutely. He's 100% the yeah, first name on the team sheet. Straight in. Yeah, no, absolutely. In terms of the Premier League overall, though, I've got to lean with Dan DeLuca and go with yeah. Adama Traore because there was always that raw talent in Adama Traore. We all looked at him and thought, my God, if this guy gets into gear, he is fucking unstoppable. He's powerful. He's pacey. The guy's built like an absolute machine. Um, he, he's always had all the attributes, but he's never quite produced the end product. He's never quite stepped up to the plate. He's never quite been mature enough in certain situations. But we've seen all of those things come together. And I think you can only look at Nuno Espirito Santo 
um, and attribute him for Adama Traore's development. Like I said, the talent's been there for a while. He's had some excellent coaches at other places he's been. Of course, he's a product of, of Barcelona. Um, but Nuno seems to have found a way to really get the best out of him. Also keeping him grounded, though, because interestingly, Adama Traore doesn't, hasn't started every single game for Wolves this season. He's sort of been in and out of the side at times. And it's like Nuno has managed him really, really well in terms of not burning him out with the Europa and all their other commitments, but also making sure that um, he's getting the opportunity to fulfil that potential. So, Do you know what his his, uh, um, stats were in his debut season at Wolves? I remember reading a few days ago. No, I don't. Not off the top of my head. One goal, one assist. Yeah, sounds sounds about right. And it just, like I said, look, he deserves to be the most improved player, in my opinion. But you've got to give Nuno a hell of a lot of credit for that as well. I think he's he's been largely responsible for that. Right, let's go through. Oh, this is a fucking good shout. Sorry. I I was about to move on from that. And then this has come up. Danny Ings. He's had a great season. Yeah. He's had a great season. That's not bad. Yeah. Yes, yeah, good, good shout. It's a really Danny good shout. Bad the season before, though. No, but he wasn't exactly punching at the top of the golden boot chart like he has no. been this season. And and you've got to take into account that I know they turned it around in the second half of the season, but Southampton have had a pretty miserable season as well. Um Right, let's go over to some of the listener questions for the last uh, five or six minutes or so. Um, I've left the window open and all the moths are coming into the light. Fuck's sakes. Um, Akil says, what do you guys think of Zaha leaving Palace? Any chance of Arsenal going for him? I'll go first on this one just because it's Arsenal related. And I think the ship has sailed with Wilfred Zaha, if I'm honest. Um, It was now or never last summer. Um, it was no secret that Unai Emery wanted him over Nicolas Pepe. The club decided against that. The club decided that it would be better served investing in Nicolas Pepe um, due to the age, due to the price, due to the way that the deal was structured. And it just worked better for Arsenal Football Club at the time. At the time, what were my feelings? Uh, of course, I was a little bit like, I don't know if this is the right move. Zaha's got that Premier League experience. Therefore, there shouldn't be such a long adaptation period. But when you take into account that in 38 appearances for Crystal Palace in the Premier League this season, Wilfred Zaha scored on just four occasions. I feel like the decision has been vindicated a little bit. Um, because scored? I'll tell you exactly now. Bear with me one second. Um, no, but, it, but this is the point, though, Dan, that, that, that with Pepe, he's two years younger than him. Um, you know, yeah, he's got five Pepe in the Premier League, but you, Pepe's in his first season in the Premier League. So I was, uh, I was kind of like Giving accepting the of the fact that, yeah. Whereas it, the argument for Zaha was, oh, but he's Premier League proven and he's going to score goals and he does this and he does that, and then he's not done that. I wouldn't swap. Uh, and, I wouldn't swap him now. No, no, no yeah. Zaha's had, think, once you start, I think Zaha is. Is an, he's a classic example for me, really simply, of too good for Palace, not good enough for a top five, a top six. So he'll do well at an Everton. And funny enough, Everton probably what, had two free bids rejected last year. That, yeah. For me, that is his level. I might be wrong, but for me, 
there's a lot of players that fall into that Everton category and always use them and it's probably the the worst they've got but they're the the ones that spring to mind the team that sort of and Everton are Wolves are Leicester for me that's where Zaha goes would would Arsenal fans not would Arsenal fans not like the idea of him and Pepe on either side of one striker (laughs) rather than shoehorning a striker onto the left I think that actually, and it's an unpopular opinion, that Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang from the left is a far more effective proposition. Um, The stats back that up as well. If you look at the number of goals he scored playing from that left wing position in comparison to the centre-forward one, then you'll see that that is the case. And I think it's the case because playing and starting from the left means he's not the main focus of the central defenders. And he often appears in that space between the full-back and the centre-back, the half-space as it's known. And what that does is it causes confusion, doesn't it? Does the centre-back go? Does the full-back pick him up? If the full-back comes in, then the the wing-back can make the overlap and he's in space. And I feel like he's benefited from being put in that position. I think what we've seen in the last sort of few months in the games that we have been successful in from Mikel Arteta is the desire to want to see a bit of a false nine in terms of the number nine dropping that bit deeper, creating the space in behind for... Pepe and Aubameyang on the flanks to then invert and get in behind. And you've seen the benefits of that, particularly in the semi-final against City, where Lacazette was dropping deeper and creating the space for Aubameyang in behind. So, funnily enough, and I know it's an unpopular opinion, but I actually think that Aubameyang is better suited to that position because in terms of what he offers you, holding the ball up, link-up play, it's pretty much fucking next to nothing. So, you know, I, I get why Mikel Arteta does it the way he does it. I, Zaha, talented footballer. Could he do well in an Arsenal team? Possibly. But given the financial situation, I'm not sure I would I would take a punt on him now. I think that ship sailed. Um, let's go on to one of your other questions. Felix, uh, he says, your thoughts on the influence of agents at Arsenal at the moment? And he's talking about Kia Jurabchian, um, who is having a massive influence at the moment on Arsenal's transfer dealings. Every player that's under his agency, which is called Sport Invest UK, appears to be being linked with Arsenal at the moment. He's got a very good relationship with Edu. Um, it's why we're being linked with William. It's why we're being linked with Jolson Fernandes um, from Portugal. And it's why we've signed some of the players that we have of late. It is a, it's a positive in one way. Because Kia Jurabchian is not a small-time agent. He's a big-time agent. He's been big in the game for years. We, You know, I could say to you guys, if we weren't talking about Arsenal, the name Kia Jurabchian, you'd instantly know who he is, wouldn't you? Because he's been so big in the game. So the, the, the plus side is he's connected. He knows a lot of people. He's got a, good, a lot of good players on his books. The bad side is, are Arsenal going to then start overlooking options because they're not linked to Jurabchian? And that could be to our detriment. So I, I don't know. We've got to see how this goes. You know, this relationship is is fairly new. Um, give it a couple of seasons. Look who comes in. Look who goes out. And then we can make a judgment on whether the partnership between Jurab Chan and Edu has been a positive or not. I think it's just too early to tell. Um, but in general, guys, I mean, Dan, your thoughts on clubs sort of partnering up with agents and using them to do their business. Do you think it's a... It's a Good route to go down? Not not really, no. Not really. It, it kind of, like you said, it, it kind of closes it closes other avenues. It closes the market. 
and you get into a position where where you're taking decisions away from the manager in some respects. I think the FA Cup final was a lot bigger than it should be for Arsenal in the sense that Mikel Arteta is not striking me as a sort of person who would take any shit whatsoever um, from anyone anywhere in the club. And I think, you know, if someone's going to tell him we're going to sign this player because this agent and he doesn't want him, I, I just can't see how that's going to happen. But if he's won the FA Cup in his first season, his bargaining position as a manager is even stronger. And he's saying, that's what I've done with, with, with the shit you gave me before, with respect. Now I'm going to tell you who I want to buy. And I don't care who the agent is. So I think it's a big game in that respect. But to be in a place where, you know, you said before, if I said the name Kia Jabashan, you know, you'd know what I mean. The reason everyone knows who he is is because he, he causes trouble. Um, you, tend, you tend to only know agents if they cause trouble. Otherwise, you don't know their name. It's the same with so is that is that... Dan, is that necessary? So uh, I can't give a non-biased uh, opinion of Kia um, Jurab Chum, but um, being of a, a Persian background, but um, he, he came out recently, and I think he. Why said, not? Oh, I can slag off loads of Greeks. It's no problem. <laughs> but, <laughs> don't get me started. Um, so he came out a few days ago, and he said um, Philip Coutinho wants to move back to the Premier League, right? And, you, and that will be your way of him saying, oh, he's causing trouble. You know, he, he's interested in X club, Y club, that is in Spurs. But has has Coutinho not planted that seed there? Like, we don't know how it works. We don't know how these conversations work. Like, he's a millionaire. I know he's going to make up a lot of money on a Coutinho move, but you don't you don't know what came first. It's chicken and the egg, like the trigger. Yeah, like, it, you, it, don't, it, you don't know what... It helps in some situations. If you want a player who belongs to that agent, then that's brilliant. But if you've got the place where the agent, like like Harry said, you said, I don't know if this is true or not, but I, you know a lot about the inside of Arsenal, clearly you're saying he's been involved in a lot of the players we have bought. That's when I get a little bit worried. About not, not, not previous, as in he's had a hand in like the Cedric deal and, and some of the deals that we're doing like really in the, the, the sort of in the near past, I guess. And he's having an influence now, I think. He hasn't in previous seasons. I don't want to pin transfers on him that have turned out bad that weren't his fault. No, but but now I, he hasn't. I thought he was friends with Ed. Like, I must have missed that because I obviously know a bit about I thought he was friends with Ed and that's been part of the whole... Obviously, Edu's still yeah. got a role. Yeah, yeah he, he is friends with Edu. And Edu is has a massive role to play at Arsenal. Um, Edu oversees sort of the football side of things. And because of their relationship... We're seeing Arsenal linked with a, a number of players that Jurab Chan represents. And I think going forward, we're probably going to see Arsenal go down that route even more. Because, you know, if the relationship is there and Arsenal feel it's working, and it again... financial thing, Harry. So you pay an agent fee for a player. So if you've got a relationship with an agent... Do you get better deals on that agent's fee and that sort of stuff? And then, yeah, I think are you, you do. signing players for the wrong reasons? Is it is it the tipping point between signing that player than that player when Arteta would rather that player? Because yeah. agents, to me, to a football club, agents are bad news. Don't be mistaken about that, anyone. Agents are bad news. Football clubs do not want to deal with agents if they can help it. And this bit, like I was saying a minute ago, if you know an agent's name. It's normally because he's done something a little bit tasty that you, you know, that, that stinks a little bit. Agents is how players like Aaron Ramsey end up leaving clubs on a free transfer. How people like Urzil end up with three hundred thousand pounds a week wages for sitting there scratching dust. 
that's what agents do. So I think if if a club is going down a route of, you know, trying to side with an agent, I don't think that's where I don't think that's where Arsenal want to be. But then, do you do you get yourself in a position where you're happy to concede slightly? in some deals to the agent if it means that you'll get other ones exactly, over the line. So, exactly. for example, Cedric for example, yeah. Cedric Suarez has signed for Arsenal. I think it was a four-year contract. And that one drove me mad. I couldn't work out how you're taking on a 29-year-old who hadn't even played a game for you yet and giving him a four-year contract. And it feels like, to me, that was a sweetener to Jarab Chan. That was, he was saying, if you get take my client on this four-year contract... I'll be able to do X, Y, and Z for you. And maybe there, there's a bit of, there's give and take, isn't there? Maybe you have to concede a little bit in order to, to get the maximum out of the relationship. I don't know. That's, you know, it's interesting stuff. Um, da, 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 da. What else have we got here? Um, uh, this is going to be the last question because we've run over. I do apologize. And that we'll come, we'll be sure to spend more time on questions on the next show. Um, Daniel says, would you rather keep Sabios, who knows Arsenal well and doesn't have to adapt, or Partey? I, I think the latest we're hearing in regards to Thomas Partey is that Arsenal have told Atletico Madrid they're not going to pay more than £25 million for him. The release clause is, is said to be around £40 million and Atletico Madrid are not having it. They're not going to play ball. Um, you know, you're asking them almost to half the player's price. Um, there's rumours that Arsenal have offered to throw Matteo Genduzzi in the deal. They're not interested. Um, and it looks increasingly like a deal for Thomas Partey is not going to happen. Would I like to see Thomas Partey at Arsenal, though? Yeah, I would. And the reason I would is because he's that type of combative box-to-box midfielder that you don't really find in, in, in the game as often anymore. You don't really find box-to-box players... We tend to categorise players, I think, between attacking midfielders and defensive midfielders. And he is someone who can do a little bit of both. He's got an engine, would give us the legs alongside someone like Granit Xhaka, who, um, for his sort of strengths, he is lacking in terms of his athleticism at times. In terms of Ceballos, though, I think his performances have drastically improved since the restart, like drastically. Um, There is still signs, though, that, he can have a poor game from time to time. Um, and Sabios tends to blow hot or cold. He tends to be brilliant or pretty bad. Uh, and we've seen both sides of Danny Sabah since he arrived at Arsenal. I think he's settled now. I think he's been here for a while. I think if there is a way that Arsenal can persuade Real Madrid to give him to us on another loan deal with an option to buy next season when we could be in a better financial state. And of course, his contract at Real Madrid has less to go on it, which brings the value down. I think yeah, that would be smart. Million I've heard quoted, right? Yeah, I've, I've, I've read 25 million euros okay. is what Real Madrid right. are after. Yeah. Um, but for me, Arsenal should be looking to keep Danny Ceballos. But the ideal scenario would be we choke up a five, six million pound loan fee to have him for another season. And we tell Real Madrid that we're going to have a not an option to buy, an obligation to buy him at the end of next season, giving us a chance to improve the financial situation. Because I do think he's an asset. I do think he's a good player. But I just worry that if we did fork out 25 million, are we preventing Arsenal from strengthening in areas that they need to strengthen in? So, you know, that's that's just kind of my take on that. Just quickly from you guys, Dan, um, Arsenal, should they hold on to Danny Sabahs? 
Yeah, I think so. I think the the whole loan deal this season becomes pointless if you don't keep him because you haven't achieved what you set out to do, and now he's starting to show his worth. He played the pass the other day. Um, it was the pass before the pass before the goal. If that makes sense. He played it in the channel. It was crossed in. Someone scored. I can't remember the goal. Was it against Leicester? It was the most, yeah, it was the most ridiculously incredible pass like I'd seen that day. Like, it was an unbelievable pass. And you can see the ability there. And I think if you've nursed someone on a loan deal for like six, seven, eight months, then they start to fit into the style the new manager's working for him. To then just go and give him back if you had a chance to keep him, it feels like a it feels like a wasted experiment. And I think Arsenal should try and should try and keep him and try and find a combative midfielder who will complement him to allow him to, to play the game he wants to play. If, I know that's hard because you need to find a player of that stature, but I'd, I'd certainly be looking to keep him on Arsenal now he's settled in. Alavi, you're big on Spanish yeah, I mean, football. He was when we first started this pod and we used to do the La Liga. He was a player that I um, was always raving about. I think we're letting the environment affect us too much in how we maybe rate players in terms of what they're worth in the market. If you look at a player like Sabalos and you don't think he's worth 25 30 million. And you've got Harry Maguire going for 80 million a couple of years or two ago, then he's worth that money. And I know you say he has an off game. That's just the nature of those players. They do have an off game. I, mm. I don't this I definitely think he's worth the money. I just I just when I say that, I would try and get him on another loan with a, a reduce with a fee and then make us pay for him next season. It's only because I'm taking into account what I expect Arsenal's finances to be yeah. like, I mean, rather Zidane than me saying like that he's not worth it. Zidane yeah. like <laughs> if you look at the guy's question, what I think he asked was, would you rather keep Ceballos? Yes. Mm. Yeah. And the problem is the whole football fan thing. Everyone says, oh, we want both. The fact is, for players like Ceballos to be able to perform, you need to have the combative midfielder next to him. The first half of the season, Arsenal haven't really had that. The second half of the season they have. So Bales is playing well in the second part of the season. You said earlier in the pod, you said the Xhaka has certainly improved in the second half of the season. The point is, can you guarantee Xhaka is going to perform 30 out of 38 games a season so that you've got someone like Sabaos who then has got the, the platform to shine? Like Laddie says, these players have bad games. No technical central midfielder can have a good game on his own. It's impossible. Mm. So you yeah. need... You need the powerhouse. You need the beast next to him. So, you know, really, Arsenal need to find a way to 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 do both somehow. The first two three games, I thought, who is this? He's just he's even better than I remembered. And then he just went off a board of it. But now I think mm -hmm. he's at the level that I remembered him at in Spain. There was a stat that I read the other day. Actually, one of my editors at work brought it to my attention because I just written a piece on Danny Ceballos and what the future may hold for him and what I think Arsenal should do um, in terms of sort of uh, his situation. And he said to me, we talked about the, the Danny Sabas thing and he pointed it out. And of course, as all good editors do, his job is to fact check what, what I've written. And he came up with this. He obviously checked it out and he said to me that it's unbelievable to think that Danny Sabas has played so well in the last couple of months or so, yet his only two assists in an Arsenal shirt came on the second game of the season at home to Burnley. And that's the game where everybody sort of looked at him and went, wow, what a player. And then after that, 
you know, things went a little bit south. I know the Unai Emery thing was a fucking mess and that contributed to a lot of players suffering. But it's just interesting, isn't it, to think that his only two assists came on the second week of the season. And since then, for all the plaudits he's got, he's not produced sort of that type of thing. And so it does evidence that, you know, you, you can be an effective midfield player without necessarily providing assists, but it also evidences the lack of creativity in the Arsenal midfield as well. And it's Have something that... Numbers when What's gets, that, sorry? Have a look at Modric's numbers when he gets some spare time. They won't be big. Mm. Like we was talking back then, the pass before the pass. He's not there to make assists. I know yeah. assists is a thing for fantasy football and Arsenal fans when Mesut Ozil was playing badly. <laughs> That's a fact, whether people like it or not. Forget I wondered assist. if we could get through the whole show without mentioning his name. We're not talking about assists. We don't want someone else to assist. We want him to. We want him to create. You don't have to assist to create. You know, he's the first eight months not so good. Now he's coming into his own. To give him back, it just feels like a wasted opportunity for me. Agreed. Agreed. Right. That brings us to the end. Uh, thank you to those of you who submitted your questions. Apologies to those we didn't get around to. We were supposed to run for an hour. Um, we've run for an hour and nearly 15. So a big thank you to everyone. Um, and we're going to be back with another edition of the Social Club next week. We're going to keep these going throughout the summer. So don't worry. There's plenty of European football to cover. And I'm sure there's going to be lots and lots of transfer stories doing the rounds for us to dig our teeth into. Don't forget, this show is sponsored by TV Sports Blog. Dot com head over to their website uh, check out their content they bring in you a variety uh, of written pieces on uh, all different sports they cover cricket horse racing you name it tv sports blog cover it they sponsor some great podcasts in various other fields as well which you'll want to check out um so they they're really busy and they are essex uh, county cricket club's official sponsors as well so Lots and lots of stuff over there. Please do head over and uh, check them out. Until next week, take care of yourselves. Stay tuned to the channel. Subscribe if you haven't already. We'll be bringing you lots of FA Cup build-up over the next few days. And, of course, we'll be reviewing the final when it's all done and dusted. So until next time, take care. Have a good night. Ciao.